I'd like to thank Aaron K for sponsoring this week's Torah content. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shirim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and access additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishnewis.substack.com. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the audio version of the two-page article I wrote and published for my Substack at rabbishnewiss.substack.com on August 11th, 2023, and the article is entitled Re'eh, The Meaning of Mixing Milk and Meat for a Modern Maimonidean. Why does the Torah prohibit basar b'chalav, cooking, eating, and benefiting from a mixture of milk and meat? This is a classic question to which many answers have been given. Rambam, in the Mornavuchim 348, offers a speculative answer. Quote, as for the prohibition against eating basar b'chalav, it is, in my opinion, not improbable that, in addition to this being undoubtedly a very heavy and filling food, a vodazara, idolatry, had something to do with it. Perhaps such food was eaten at one of the ceremonies of their cult or at one of their festivals. I believe that support for this may be found in the fact that the prohibition against eating basar b'chalav, when it is mentioned for the first two times, occurs near the commandment regarding pilgrimage, three times in the year, etc., it is as if it said, when you go on pilgrimage and enter the house of Hashem, your God, do not cook there in the way they used to do. According to me, this is the most probable view regarding the reason for this prohibition, but I have not seen this set down in any of the books of the Sabians, a sect of idolaters, that I have read. Okay, end quote from the Ramam, but my footnote here reads, although the Ramam lacked evidence at the time, an article entitled, Thou shalt not seethe a kid in its mother's milk, peculiar scripture illuminated by archaeology, presents archaeological evidence which corroborates the Ramam's theory. Okay, back to the main body of my article. My essential answer to this question can be found in a two-part sheer... Oops, that is not where I'm going back to. <laughs> back to my article. This week, I was asked a multifaceted question predicated on the Ramam's view. I attempted to preserve the original wording as much as possible, but I've lightly edited it to better suit the needs of this article. Quote, if the Ramam is correct that the Torah prohibited Basar B'chalav because it was a pagan practice, what relevance does this prohibition have to us today? What should my kavana, intent, be when I avoid eating a cheeseburger? I desperately want to have a relationship with Hashem through halacha, but sometimes it seems to me like Judaism has moved so far away from its original intent that it has become a completely different religion, and all that's left are rituals that can be traced to some meaningful ideas after the fact. What does Basar B'chalav mean to you? End quote. My essential answer to this question can be found in a two-part sheer I gave in 2021 entitled, How the Seemingly Outdated Elements of Torah Are Evidence of Its Perfection. There I argue that the dozens, according to the Ramam, hundreds of anti-Avodazara laws were made with built-in obsolescence. In other words, since these mitzvot were designed to annihilate every trace of Avodazara from Israel, and by extension from the world, their, their success will necessarily render them useless. Hashem fully intended for the Torah to advance humanity to a state in which these mitzvot are, from a functional standpoint, totally obsolete. Granted, these mitzvot are legally binding for all eternity, just like the rest of the Torah, but the reasons for which they were given will no longer be relevant once they have accomplished their goals. This is a feature, not a bug. Because I expect this explanation to strike some as unpalatable, I'll push it even further. Imagine the Messianic era, a time of peace and prosperity in which the whole world is filled with knowledge of Hashem, like the water that covers the seabed. 
The Torah has accomplished all of its ethical objectives, establishing a society of chesed, kindness, mishpat, justice, and tzedakah, righteousness. All human beings treat each other as fellow citizens created b'tselem elokim, with truth-seeking intellects. In such a world, we would have no need for the vast majority of the Torah's mishpatim, civil laws. The prohibitions against murder, theft, and other forms of interpersonal harm would become functionally obsolete because nobody would even be tempted to engage in such crimes. The laws which pertain to litigation, testimony, judgment, and torts would be rendered unnecessary because the parties would work things out on the basis of pshara, compromise, rather than din, the strict letter of the law. The laws which forbid the affliction of orphans, widows, and converts, the prohibitions of vengeance, holding a grudge, and speaking Lashon Hara, the injunctions against embarrassing a fellow Jew, bearing hatred in one's heart, wounding and cursing one's parents, all these mitzvos will, in the eyes of the enlightened messianic society, appear outdated and without purpose. The generations who come of age in such a world will have difficulty comprehending why these commandments were ever necessary in the first place. Thank God, mankind has progressed to a stage in which the majority of the Torah's anti-Avodazara measures have achieved their purpose and no longer serve their intended function. Ramam would acknowledge that Basar Bakalov is a relic of a bygone era, but he would say this with gratitude for what the Torah has accomplished. But this doesn't answer the question I was asked. It explains why, according to the Ramam, we should expect to find vestigial mitzvos in the body of Taryag, the 613 mitzvos, but it doesn't offer any guidance as to what we should do with these, with these mitzvos now that they've accomplished their mission objectives. As my questioner asked, what kavana should we have when we avoid eating a cheeseburger? What does Basar Bukhalev mean to you? I would like to offer three approaches. These are not the only answers, but they are the ones which I personally favor. Approach number one, reflect on Avodah while it may be true that the particular Avodazara practice of cooking Basar Bukhalev has been vanquished, Avodazara itself is alive and well. I'm not talking about primitive forms of Avodazara, which are still practiced by a large percentage, a larger percentage of the world population than we realize, nor am I referring to the specific acts of Avodazara which are proscribed by Halakha. I'm talking about philosophical Avodazara, or the Derech Avodazara, which my Rosh HaYeshiva defined as relating to the products of the psyche as a reality. This is a topic I've written about at length, most recently in last week's article, When Avodazara Works and Why, but also here, see the hyperlink, and elsewhere, and I won't elaborate on it here. Suffice it to say, if refraining from eating a cheeseburger can serve as a prompt for thinking about Avodazara, just as mezuzah serves as a prompt for thinking about Avodah Hashem, then to my mind, that is a mitzvah worthy of our attention. Approach number two, find contemporary applications. Sforno agrees with the Ramam's theory, but mentions a motive. Quote, Do not cook a kid in its mother's milk. Do not engage in actions such as these to increase your produce, as was thought by those who worship Avodazara. Rather, as it says in Shemos 23.19, the first fruits of your land you shall bring. As was stated in Yechezkel 44.30, all the first fruits of every kind and all tithe, etc., to bring a blessing to rest upon your home. While there are, end quote from the Sforno, while there are no longer any idolaters who boil meat and milk in a misguided effort to secure their material success, there are many other beliefs and practices in which modern man engages for similar reasons. Consider the American superstition, the belief that money can buy happiness. While we may not characterize this as a Vodazara, it is just as irrational and prevalent now as a Vodazara was then. Wealth is our Basar Bukhalov. Approach number three, find another reason. 
Rabag endorses Ramam's explanation of Basar Bukhalav, but offers two additional theories based on the two other times that Basar Bukhalav is mentioned in the Torah. He then writes, quote, You should not be troubled to find one mitzvah with many reasons, for you see that the Torah mentions two reasons for the mitzvah of Shabbos, i.e. remembering creation and remembering the Exodus. In general, the Torah resembles nature. Just as nature does a single act, which has multiple benefits, the same is true with the Torah's commandments. End quote. I began this article by acknowledging that many explanations have been given for why the Torah prohibited Basar Bakalov. Rabag reminds us that these reasons are not mutually exclusive. It is entirely possible that Hashem prohibited Basar Bakalov to uproot a pagan practice and to benefit us in other ways. And this is not apologetic any more than it is apologetics to say that Hashem created iron to transport oxygen in the human body, to serve as materials for human craft, and to play a critical role in the formation of stars. If you don't find Ramam's theory of Basar Bukhalov conducive to strengthening your relationship with Hashem, go forth and learn, and learn another answer. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Schneeweiss. Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt-schneeweiss, and my Zelle slash Chase QuickPay and PayPal are mattschneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor an article, share, or podcast episode, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewos at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.